There is so much information on what is proper mastering. Many times the information that we're given you know, tells us to process too much or too little. Add these specific plugins or mastering is just increasing the output level. I'm sure you've heard this all before, so it's no wonder that you might be confused. Welcome to the Modern Mix Podcast, where we talk all things mixing and mastering. I'm your host, Emily Bowie. You know, real quick, I want to give you something that might help you along in your mastering journey, and that is just some main five components to keep in mind, sort of a guideline for you to just read over and take into consideration on your next mastering project. I think this will really help you out. If you want to go ahead and download that, it's absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll have a link right there below in the description. Absolutely free. My gift to you, just a little bit of a guideline uh, a little bit of how I kind of prepare myself before going into a mastering project, things that help me in mastering. And the way that I like to approach mastering really is by preparing myself. And that is to listen to a lot of music. It's the fun part, right? You know, anything, today's hits, yesterday hits, the ones that we refer to as classics, the ones that we are kind of always told make best reference tracks. And I wanted to talk really quick about what I listen for when I'm listening to music and considering something to be a reference track, something that kind of checks all those boxes for me. And the things that I'm looking for, number one is sonic characteristics. And this is where we find the excitement and emotion of a song. It's even though we have little ear candy things that we like, and that's great, that's part of production. To me, the sonic characteristics of that is the texture. It's it's really when we're listening, when we're really listening to something, not just when we're, you know, riding in the car with the windows down and having fun, but when we're really soaking in the emotion of that song. Those are the little things. You know, when you hear a song and and maybe it just you feel an emotion, you may get, you know, a little bit of a goosebumps. To me, it's the sonic characteristics that are being translated through that song. And I just love when people take the time to really get in there and enhance those characteristics. It just, to me, that kind of, that's kind of the, the top tier of the things that I'm looking for. And when that happens, I, I get excited. <laughs> uh, the next thing that I'm looking for, number two here, is balance. And this is kind of, you know, self-explanatory, but does the low end overshadow the high or vice versa? I I'm looking for something that that's pretty balanced. A lot of times this can happen, or really in any kind of music, it's very hard to control that that low end in hip hop and rap sometimes because I feel like today that's a little bit more of the focus of that style of music. And I say that because a lot of times the vocal, it's not really audible as much as it used to be. And I think that's because there's just a lot of effects going on the vocal. So I, 
to me, more focus gets put on the low end and sometimes it can become the only focus. And sometimes it overshadows a lot of the other elements. And so that becomes unbalanced for me. And I feel like if we can get the balance right in those those styles of music, then that's going to put you, you know, ahead of the game, a little bit ahead of the curve, everybody else. And you also have to consider... A lot of that music is being made in home studios because it's, you know, a lot of it's electronic and and just digital instead of or live instrument style of recording. And just keep in mind the balance over all of that. That's something that I'm really looking for what a good master, a good commercial master has to have. And number three is clarity. That's also may seems a little seem a little bit self-explanatory, but you know any area of the frequency spectrum that sounds cloudy or harsh, you know we've got to make sure that that we clear that up in the mix. But sometimes mastering, you know, we can get in there and tweak a little bit. I don't like to ever EQ things too much, but EQ is one of my tools that I will talk about in just a minute that I like to use in mastering. But clarity, you know, let's make sure that we get it done in in the mix. But if not, that's something that I'm also looking for. Can I make this even clearer so that we can hear those sonic characteristics? And number four, lastly, is tone. Now, this is the song warmth for me. It's the fullness, right? It's or is it leaning more towards a thin sound? And, you know, a lot of times it can sound, you know, nice, like a mellow type song that sounds, you know, warm, but does it sound full? Or, you know, we've got something, uh, an exciting track, an exciting song that's, you know, maybe more in the dance realm, but it still has to sound full. It can't sound thin. And so, you know, those tonal characteristics, got to look for those. Those have to be on point as well. Okay, so now these are the characteristics that I'm listening for in a finished commercial song. Uh, Of course, it's important to achieve this in mixing, like I've said, but that doesn't always happen, especially when we're in home studio environments. And everybody's room is going to be different. This is not people going into the same studio and you kind of knowing how that's set up, how that sounds, how you're capturing that room. This is not a controlled environment. Everything's going to be different. And I have gotten a lot of different things. So therefore, sometimes we have to kind of go into secondary mixing when level optimizing, when we're mastering. So the most important thing to remember is to listen for what needs to be corrected and not just start adding a checklist full of processing plugins. I know that there's a lot of videos, a lot of guides, a lot of people out there that will say, here is the 10 steps to mastering a song. And we can't do that. We can't have a list because not every song is the same, right? Not every song the same, the artist isn't the same, people who recorded it, it's not the same, the gear is not the same. So there's no constant on that. So we can't really go through a standardized checklist to mastering a song. But 
To make it a little easier on you, I want to go over some of those guidelines that I've put together. Again, you can go to the link in the show notes here. It'll be at fairairmusic.com slash important mastering keys to know. So if you are also watching this on YouTube, I will have a link to that in the description. You can download that. It's just a PDF. You can read through this. It'll help you just kind of guide you. This is not a checklist. It's just things to know, things to learn and understand so that you can apply those next time you have a mastering project. So the number one thing is that you want to calibrate your listening environment. I like to play one of my reference songs from a streaming platform and set the output of my monitors to where I could hear all of those elements I shared above the sonic characteristics, the balance, clarity, and tone. Then I will look at where that level is hitting on my output meters. So I'm, I use uh, universal audio equipment. And so I'm looking at my meters and what that output is being at on a level that I like to listen to music where I can hear all of those things. So whatever your monitor is connected to, you may have the LED lights to show on your hardware or if you've got it in your software area, just check and see where that is. Check check to see where, where that's hitting. Uh, I know where I like my monitors to perform, but you can also calibrate them with an SPL meter. I've got one right here that I can show those who are watching, this is what it looks like. These things are very inexpensive. I think they're probably less than $30 on eBay. This is an SPL meter. And what it does is you click on, there's a couple of different numbers there. It goes all the way from 70 to 120. And so what I like to do is set that at 80. And so when I'm standing here kind of in my sweet spot, I can I can capture, be playing this the music, kind of a reference song that I've got going that I need to be mastered. And I'm going to check that. And if it's in the middle, the meter's in the middle, that means that it's at 80 or it's at whatever I set this to. And so I like mine to be around 80 between 85 and 90 cuz I mean I'm going to I mean I'm going to master it fairly loud. It's not that's not too loud, but it's probably louder than some like to do it at. But so if it's, a, if it's at zero, then if I want it to be 85, then it will be going over plus five. And if I wanted to do 90, then I would just click on 90 on the SPL meter. And then when that hits zero, then I'll be at 90. But that was a cool little thing. They have apps if you don't want to go the hardware route. You can download an app to do that and just use on your smartphone and calibrate your speakers. And you won't have to do this every time. You'll Once you do it a few times, you'll get used to what that level is and you'll see your where your meters are on your interface or on software or whatever you're using to meter your monitors. And I just think that's really important because you're going to want to be consistent with that. It's, it's mastering is a little bit more about consistency for me because you want to compete with everything that else that you're hearing and they're all trying to compete with each other. Like they're, it's all basically around the same volume, at least 
major label commercial releases are. And that's our goal, right? So the second thing that is on these keys to remember is your metering. Now, metering is crucial because we have to, we're mastering within our DAWs, right? So we need to know what that actual level is, not what we're, what we're controlling on the output, on the output of the music that we're hearing. This is more so that internal level, your LUFS, and everybody's obsessed with that. Uh, but a couple of, of tools that I like to use is Isotope's Insight and their Tonal Balance 2 plugins. I absolutely love those. And if you download the guide that I have here, I've got those a couple of those linked up, the Insight and Tonal Balance linked up. And that'll take you if you're not familiar with those plugins. But they're really good. I would I would actually get to know those, download the trials and give it a test drive. So once I've I have my mix in my DAW, the first thing that I want to do is check the balance with tonal balance. And this gives me a good idea if the mix has any areas of on the frequency spectrum that's sticking out. If it's, you know, like a huge part is sticking out. Even in the mid-range, if there's something that's very distracting there, then we need to, you know, take that into consideration because once we increase the overall level, that is going to increase as well. And that would impact our master negatively. So meterings, I'm checking my entire frequency spectrum and I'm checking my overall level, see where we're at, see where our starting point is. Now, number three is mid-side EQing. Now, understanding mid-side EQ is very important when mastering, increasing the overall volume to a commercial standard level will increase everything that will have to find space in a stereo format. So this can and will cause the stereo image to sound cloudy or masked. So the very first EQ move that I will do is to take a side high-pass filter, and sometimes I'll crank it all the way up to 100 hertz. This will immediately open up the stereo image, and it will also add clarity to the master. Now, of course, the high-pass filter will vary on how high you go, but I will go up to 100. In fact, that is what I do on my mixes. This is something that I do on my mix bus. So I'm already preparing that stereo image that mix to be mastered basically like I said in the beginning I'm not trying to do hardly anything when mastering but the number four key thing to remember is your harmonics and depending on how the mix sounds you might be lacking emotion this can be added with harmonics And harmonics give us those sonic characteristics to help produce an emotion. We can add harmonics with a couple of different methods. In mastering, I do like to use a vintage tape saturation plugin or even an exciter. Now, I do recommend achieving this in mixing once again, but that is not always in our control. You know, explore the the tape, right? So we have tons of tape plugins out there. One that I like to use, of course, is going to be with UAD. You know, any of theirs, 
I absolutely love. I think you can get a lot out of them in their different, you know, tapes. And then you've got the speed to consider whether it's a higher number on the speed, you're going to get things a little bit brighter. A little lower number, it's going to be a little more mellowed out, a little darker. So just whatever your end game is, whatever it needs, right? If it sounds too dull, then you might brighten it up a little bit, right? Sounds pretty reasonable. So number five, the last thing, of course, that I will be doing on my masters is limiting or maximizing. Limiting is a part of mastering where all of the opinions come in, right? Uh, which limiter to use, what LUFS target you should be aiming for, etc., etc. But the important thing is to educate yourself on acceptable levels for different uses of the mastered song. So, for example, if you are trying to submit a song for sync placement, then make sure that you ask what their preferred level is. Don't just go on an article of an opinion that you just Googled because that's very important to know what, wherever you're submitting your song, whatever they want. That's what you go with, <laughs> right? We are printing, I'm printing that song to be no quieter than minus, between a minus 11 and minus 12. I don't care what people say about this minus 14 thing and Spotify and all the streaming platforms. That's bogus. I don't know why that has become a thing. Like, I don't even, if I was to put out a song at minus 14 LUFS on Spotify, and then I had it in a playlist with like some, you know, major label commercial songs. Mine would sound so off and so quiet and so thinned out. Like it's not like you go right. You can go right now and listen to a song to listen to your favorite song, play it through, you know, your interface or whatever you have and check the level. Like, like you just I mean, pick a spot wherever you want your output to be. Play that song and then play your song. I guarantee you, if you have yours at minus 14 LUFS, it's not even going to be anywhere near the output level. So let's let's take ourselves back. Or let's take ourselves away from the whole minus 14 LUFS. Like we have to get, we have to move past that. It's just the same way that we have to move past all of your tracks being at minus six. I don't know where minus six, minus 14. I don't know where these numbers came from, but we need to forget them. And you just need to compare need to A and B with a reference track, right? Because why wouldn't you? Why would you take a no nobody's opinion over a song that is number one on the radio? Like, I don't know. I'm, that's who I'm. I, I'm going to go with the person on the radio. But that's just me. Um, so false information, you know, is one of the, the main reasons that I've started doing all of all of this content because I myself fell for it, you know, for a couple of years. When I first started out in this, there wasn't much to go on. And that was back in like, 
I think when I very first started gathering information was really when YouTube was kind of becoming a big thing, maybe like 2009-ish, and a lot, lot of crazy stuff out there, a lot of stuff that I know is definitely not good information. And so that's why we've got to educate ourselves, but we have to do it through experience, and we have to, to, to seek out that knowledge from people who know you know, who actually know, who, who have found these sweet spots, who have found success in, in what they're doing. So that's who we need to follow, but also experiment on our own. Like, I mean, it didn't take me long to know that the minus 14 LUFS was not good. When I put a song out at that level and I heard it back once it was released, I... I would, I, and then I started questioning, you know, the platforms. Like, well, you must do something TARS who aren't on a major label. Yeah, no, that's silly. Don't do that. I messed up because I followed bad information, and I am okay with owning that up. But let's let's just make sure that we're we're educating ourselves properly. And I think that if you're going to get into mastering, one of the best ways to learn through a reputable company, the tools that they put out is Isotope Ozone and their products. Uh, I have used others, but I continue to keep coming back to them. They're great for beginners. They're great for award-winning mastering engineers. And uh, of course, you know, I don't necessarily use a lot of their EQs, but as far as as far as their metering plugins, I mean that tonal balance. If you're within the lines of whatever genre that you've set, your your master is going to sound good. Your mix is going to sound good because I I put that on on all of my mixes. I'm I'm checking that I'm checking my mixes before I even go into mastering. You know, a typical master for me is going to be now. This is if I've mixed it right. I've got, you know, all those things that I've said before, the sonic characteristics, my tone, clarity, balance, I've got all of those checked off, right? So the first thing that I'm going to do is after that print, I'm going to put it into a new session. And I'm going to set up a processing aux and then a print track. So it's going through the processing and then to the print. First thing that I'm going to do is recheck the balance because I don't know what happens between printing it in one session, having that WAV file, and then putting it in a new one. But I'm just going to check it. And then I'll go in and I'll check with a FabFilter Pro-Q3. And I'm going to be checking it with some of the mid-side EQing. I'm going to see, I'm going to listen very carefully, pretty loudly, and I'm going to see if I can clear that up, if I can spread it just a little bit. I don't want things too wide if that's not what it needs, but I'm just going to check some areas really kind of like 200 to 350, and then I'm going to check on the sides between 3 and 500 hertz, and I'm going to see if I can open up anything else, and then maybe even spread some of the top just a little bit if that's what it needs but these are very subtle moves and a little bit goes a long way when you're EQing on just a stereo track so the next thing after that is I'm going to pop in ozone ozone 9 
believe that's the latest one. And I like to see what their mastering assistant does. I have no shame in, in saying that. I hardly ever stay on those settings, but I'm going to click it. I'm going to put it on CD and I'm going to let it do its thing and see what it does, see what it's trying to say. And then if I don't like it, I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm A and B in that. I'm going to check real hard. I'm going to listen very carefully to see what it's doing, if it's doing anything beneficial. If I was like, I see something, I hear something, and I'm like, that's good. I'm going to keep that little piece in there. Or I'll you know, clear those plugins out, clear out what it has suggested, and then I will mimic that move and see if I see what I know can learn what it's doing. And then maybe I will remember that for next time. And then the last thing, the very last thing that's going in in that plugin sequence is the maximizer. And I absolutely love the maximizer. I did a shootout between the Oxford limiter, the Fab Filter L2, and the Ozone maximizer. And the maximizer won every time. It was so much clearer. There's just so much you can, I don't know. There's, to me, it just has a lot of cool options. I mean, you can go through all the different modes and it's going to do something. It's going to sound very different. But one of them is going to fit your song. I promise you. It. I don't know what those things do underneath the hood, but it's fantastic. I just love it. Um, but that's the last thing that I'm doing. And I'm aiming 11 to 12. No quieter than 12 absolutely will not go. I'm, I'm really, I mean, I have it set to 11. That's what I have it set to. Now, sometimes we, you know, it's just something's happening if I didn't mix it, but minus 11 is where I'm aiming for. And other than that, w you know, one thing to keep in mind that a lot of people don't talk about is automation in mastering. You know, if you get a track and I, I had one, I was probably last year or the year before, where, you know, two-thirds of the song was very quiet. And then towards the end, it's just so dynamic, so, like, in-your-face, punchy, powerful, like, it's the grand finale. And so, you know, when you go in and you're, you're trying to listen to the loudest part of the song and you master it, so I'm at minus 11, well... But the majority of the song, I mean, you can see it on the track. It's like the, you know, tiny and, and this. But it's so interesting that people won't automate their masters. And so let's say you, you went ahead and mastered that at minus 11. But the first half of the, the whole song is so quiet that it's not even hitting minus 18. And so that's a huge problem, you know, and you have to make sure that, you you know, you're very careful with your automations or, or your gain staging in mastering and not take away from the production and then also your cross points. So when that, that loud, that punch comes in, I can't have it just automatically sound like it's really loud when it comes in. Like, I ha it has to be done in a way where it just all sounds like it's the same level. Now, to our perception, it, it should sound louder, should sound, you know, more impactful, more emotional. But 
as far as an output level, it should really, you know, not fluctuate much with just, you know, a few dB. But when you go from 11 to 18, 19, like that's a big difference. And so don't forget to automate in mastering as well. But, you know, ozone, great for beginners, great for people doing this for a long time. I've been doing it for over 10 years now. But I just wanted to go over some of these things in mastering because I didn't want it to seem like we never talk about mastering. Mastering is very important. And nowadays, a lot of uh, home engineers and home mixers, home mix engineers are getting into doing their own mastering. And so it's important for us to keep this conversation going in the modern mix as well. Uh, the biggest thing I believe to take away from all of this is to not over complicate mastering, right? Uh, one of the biggest ways to understand this process and how to get good at it is to just listen to a lot of music. I mean, that's the fun part, right? All right, y'all. So if you haven't already, go ahead and download this free guide. This is going to be at fairairmusic.com slash important mastering keys to know. If you are watching on YouTube, I will have that linked up down below this video in the description. And if you'd like to just head on over there from listening to your podcast network, then I will have that in the show notes for you to follow as well. But again, that is at fairairmusic.com slash important mastering keys to know. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for hanging out with me and talking about mastering. And I will catch you in the next one.